In the early days of the Renaissance, there was a trend among some of the artists. When they were commissioned to draw a portrait or a picture of someone, they would use both sides of the canvas. On the front side of the canvas, you'd see the face, the actual physical appearance of the person, what you would see if you were to meet them walking down the street. But on the back side of that same canvas, the artist would draw a series of symbols, symbols that told you a story about that person, symbols that might tell you something about their education or their status in society, or symbols that might tell you something about their personality and what kind of heart did they have. Leonardo da Vinci did this with the very first portrait that he drew. It was a young lady named Ginevra. She had recently become engaged, and as a way of announcing that engagement to the general public, da Vinci had been commissioned to draw a portrait of her. So on the front side of the canvas, you saw her picture, her physical appearance, a very attractive young lady. But on the back side of the canvas, you heard the story. What was Ginevra really like? If you were actually able to meet this young lady, what would impress you about her? So on the back side of the canvas, da Vinci drew a series of symbols to let us know what Ginevra was really like, that she was bright and talented, highly intelligent, and a very virtuous young woman. Whenever she was out in public, she'd always handled herself with a, a lot of dignity and modesty. In other words, by using both sides of the canvas, da Vinci was telling us, here's a young lady who's beautiful both inside and out. Now here's the fascinating thing. When the painting was finished and first put on display, so all the public could see, you saw the backside of the canvas first. It was da Vinci's way of saying, read the story before you look at the picture. See what this young lady was like on the inside before you make any judgments about what she looks like on the outside. Because only then will you really appreciate the beauty, the amazing beauty of this young woman. Well, I think God used a similar technique when he put the Bible together. Here we have a big book, a really big book. But this big book tells one main story, the story of Jesus. And God uses both sides of the canvas to tell the story. He uses both the Old Testament and New Testament to point us to Jesus. And just like da Vinci, God shows us the backside of the canvas first. You need to read the Old Testament before the New if you really want to get the story right. You need to see the heart of this coming Messiah before you see his face. So in the Old Testament, we begin to learn why is the Messiah coming here and why do we need him to come here? Why is he so eager to, to help us out and what's motivating him? So throughout the Old Testament, God uses a variety of symbols and stories, a variety of pictures and types to show us the personality and character of the coming Messiah before we see his actual picture in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul put it like this, in Genesis chapter 3, we have the problem, sin. All mankind has rebelled, we've all disobeyed, all humanity has broken the rules. And as a result, we brought a curse upon ourselves and a curse upon this world in which we now live. Everything's broken down and fallen apart. Nothing functions the way it's supposed to. And now there's this enormous gap between God and all human beings. But in Romans chapter 3, we find the solution. We have a Savior, and His name is Jesus. Jesus can restore. Jesus can put all the pieces back together again and put those pieces back together in just the right way. Only Jesus can make all things new. So Genesis chapter 3, we have the problem, and Romans chapter 3, we have the solution. But the question is this, why are there so many pages in between? And the Apostle Paul answered that question in Romans chapter 3 and verse 21. He said, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which, get this, to which the law and the prophets testify. That expression, the law and the prophets, that's shorthand for the Old Testament. 
The Apostle Paul is saying all the way through the Old Testament, God has been testifying. We have a problem, and we need to be aware of it. And we need to be aware that there's only one person who's qualified to fix this problem, and that person is the Messiah. So all the way through the Old Testament, God has been preparing us to see Jesus. He's been getting our hearts ready to meet Him and receive Him, to experience and enjoy the solution that only Jesus can provide. Now, here's an example of what I'm talking about. Today, we're going to talk about the cities of refuge. Four different times in the Old Testament, God talks about these special places, these special cities that He set up and set apart. So whenever His people were in trouble, they knew they had a place they could run to and be safe, a place where everything was going to be okay. There were six of these cities of refuge, and they were strategically placed, spread out at key points throughout the land of Israel so they would never be too far away. In other words, everybody in the land of Israel could have this confidence that no matter where you stood and no matter where you traveled, you'd always know one of those safe places was close by. So if there was some kind of an accident or a misunderstanding of some kind, or you got yourself in a jam and now somebody else is really mad at you and they're on your tail threatening to do you harm, you knew there was a city of refuge, close by, a, a place where you could be protected and kept safe. Even if you were in a part of the country that you were not familiar with, you knew the cities of refuge would never be hard to find. Some of those cities were built on top of a hill so the lights would be, be visible at night. And you always knew that if there was ever a river or stream between you and that place of refuge, that a bridge had already been built in advance so you could reach the place quickly and easily. All barriers had been removed. And you knew that the gates to all six cities remained unlocked. So early in the morning, late at night, it didn't matter. You'd never have trouble getting in. And once you were inside the gates of that city, you knew there was always going to be an abundant supply of food and water and friends. You wouldn't lack for anything at all. And you knew you could stay there as long as you liked. <laughs> Do you remember some of those games we used to play as kids? And there was always this one spot where you would be safe. It was the one place in the playground or the one place out there in the backyard where you knew if you were standing there, you couldn't be tagged. You couldn't be touched. You could never be put out of the game. You know, maybe it was just a, a little circle, a tiny circle drawn around a tree. But you knew if you were standing inside that circle, you could relax. Do you remember that feeling of freedom, that feeling of confidence you had as you stood in that safe spot? Well, that's the kind of security that God wanted to provide for the Israelites. Because of these cities of refuge, they knew no matter what kind of trouble I'm in, I have a place I can run to, a place where I know that God is going to take care of me. Now, here's the interesting thing. You turn over to the New Testament and those cities are gone. Why? Because now God has provided a different kind of refuge, an even better kind of refuge. Now, instead of a place, He gives us a person. Now, instead of a city, he gives us a friend, and our friend's name is Jesus. He's the one that God wants us to run to. So you put all this together, and you begin to realize that when you're back here in the Old Testament and you're reading about these cities of refuge, you begin to appreciate that here is one of those places where I can begin to learn something about Jesus. Let's take a look. Deuteronomy chapter 19, and we're going to begin reading with verse 2. Now keep in mind, when you're in this part of the Bible, you need to appreciate the Israelites have been in the desert for 40 years. But now that part of the journey is over. And they're getting ready to enter into the Promised Land. And yet, just before they cross the Jordan River, Moses wants to talk to them one more time. And that's pretty much what you have throughout the whole book of Deuteronomy. It's a series of talks that Moses gives to the Israelites. Instructions on how they can settle down and enjoy life 
in the promised land. And here are part of those instructions. Moses says, verse 2, When you get into the promised land, set aside for yourselves three cities in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Now you might think, oh, wait a minute, David. I thought you just told us there were six cities of refuge, and there were. So why does Moses only mention three? Because some of the tribes, you know, there were 12 tribes in the nation of Israel. Some of those tribes have already claimed the land on the east side of the Jordan River. That's where they chose to settle down. And three cities have already been set up as a place of refuge for them. But now that the nation of Israel is moving to the west side of the Jordan River, they're going to need three more of these sanctuaries. And Moses reminds them how these cities of refuge are to be established. Verse 3, he says, determine the distances involved. In other words, carefully measure out to make sure that none of those cities of refuge are ever going to be far away. But the same Hebrew phrase, determine the distance, it can also be translated, build the road. And I think it has that same meaning here as well. You know, it's really interesting to watch how the Israelites responded to these instructions. Down through the years, you can hear some of the Jewish rabbis talk about this, talk about how every year, early in the spring, the Israelites would all turn out to carefully repair every one of the roads that led to these cities of refuge. After all the rain, after all the bad weather that come each year during the winter there in the land of Israel, early in the spring, the Israelites would come back out and make sure every one of those roads were smooth again. In fact, the Jewish rabbis talk about how the Israelites set up signs at key places along that road so that would point in the direction of the city of refuge. And on each one of the signs, there was just one word, the Hebrew word for refuge. And the letters were written extra large. So if somebody was running fast, they wouldn't have trouble seeing or understanding what it said. And then the Jewish rabbi said that people would be stationed at those signs to make sure that that person was running in the right direction. You see, the Israelites took these instructions very seriously. And why? Because everybody knew one day I might be in trouble. One day I might need that place of refuge. And I'm going to want other people to be willing to help me as well. So Moses says you need to determine the distances involved. And secondly, divide the land into three parts. In other words, as you step back and you look at the promised land as a whole, make sure in the north and in the south and in the center. And every one of these geographical sections, you've got these cities of refuge set up at a key spot where it's going to be easy for anybody in the land to access it. So that anybody at any time in any place can reach the place quickly. And here's why all these instructions are so important. Because the land they are about to enter is a gift from God. Notice how he emphasizes this. He says, the land that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance. But here's the one thing that can spoil that gift. Something might go wrong. Moses says, so that a person who kills someone may flee for refuge to one of these cities. Now Moses will go ahead in verses 4 through 7 to explain that he's talking about an accidental death. In fact, Moses gives us a specific example. He says, imagine two men. They're out here in the forest, out here all by themselves. They're out here in the forest to cut some wood. And here's one man, he's swinging the axe, trying to cut down a tree, when all of a sudden the head of the axe, the blade, comes loose, and it flies off, and it hits his friend, and it kills him instantly. Now, there's nobody else out here to see what has happened. There's nobody else out here to understand this was just an accident. You didn't do this on purpose. I mean, the last thing in the world you'd ever want to do is hurt this friend of yours, and now he's dead, and he's dead because of you. This is awful. But who's going to be able to believe this? So before another member of the family jumps to the wrong conclusion, before a member of this friend's family begins to overreact and take matters in their own hands and decide to settle the score themselves, you need a safe place. 
a place where the facts can be heard and the truth can be told, a place where a group of wise men can come together and listen to your case and verify what has actually happened. And then that group of wise men can begin to figure out a way to bring healing to all the people who've been hurt by the loss of your friend. Now, there's a lot of other detail that's given here in the Old Testament when the Bible talks about these cities of refuge and why these cities of refuge were so important to the Israelites. But here's my point. Before you finish reading and studying this part of the Bible, you also need to take time to consider how this same truth, this truth that God wants people to be safe, how God teaches that same truth elsewhere so that you realize this truth, it wasn't just for them back in that day and time. This truth was meant for us as well. Think of it like this. Think of an acorn. You know, there's many things you can say about an acorn. It's little, it's brown, it has a cap. You can find them on the ground, and squirrels love them. Squirrels love to gather acorns. But if that's all you notice, and you never take time to see the tree, the mighty oak tree that comes about because of that acorn, then you are missing something vitally important. So it is with the scripture. Here we have a seed, a tiny but very important truth. God wants his people to have a place of refuge. But if this is all you see, if all you see is the seed and you never take time to see the tree, the mighty tree that God, the bigger and better way that God takes the same truth and expands it and enlarges it so it makes an even greater impact upon our lives, then you're missing something that is vital. In other words, here in Deuteronomy chapter 19, we have the acorn. God wants his people to be safe. But it's only when you get to the New Testament that you see the mighty oak tree that God has provided how Jesus is God's final and ultimate solution as to providing us a place of refuge. In fact, when you get to the New Testament and you see Jesus, you find something you don't find back here in Deuteronomy chapter 19. You see, in ancient Israel, when somebody came running to the city of refuge, they came running there because they knew they weren't guilty of murder and they needed a place to prove their innocence. But today, when we come running to Jesus, we come running for the opposite reason. We're guilty. We deserve to be judged. Nobody needs to investigate our case because we already know the facts. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve to be punished. But this is where we find our hope. Whereas in the Old Testament, God set up the cities of refuge to protect the innocent. Now in the New Testament, we learn that God has provided a place of refuge for the guilty too. You see, Jesus, the only one who is ever truly innocent, he dies. But he dies not for himself, he dies for us. He took the punishment for all the crimes that we have committed so that now legally and legitimately we can be declared not guilty. The very one that we expected to be our judge and executioner, now he's allowed himself to be judged and executed in our place so that now all our accidental sins and all the cold-hearted deliberate sins, all that sin can be forgiven and removed from the record. You see, it's because of what I learned in Deuteronomy chapter 19 that now I have a much better appreciation of what the Bible's trying to teach in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here is my city of refuge. I am in Christ. I belong to him, and he keeps me safe. Think of a little girl. She's playing in the backyard when she notices a pretty flower. So she runs over to check it out. But what she doesn't see is the bee sitting on that flower. So when the little girl reaches out to touch the flower, she agitates the bee, and the bee gets angry, and the bee begins to chase her. Now the little girl is scared, and she's not sure what to do until she sees her older brother standing on the back porch. So she runs to him, 
and he grabs her and he holds her tightly in his arms. But the bee hasn't given up. So a moment later, the little girl can hear her brother groan and feel his arms begin to tense up as the bee stings him. But he never stops holding her. And it's only at that moment that the little girl knows that she is safe because he took the sting for her. Now that's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. On the cross, Jesus took the sting of judgment for us. So now I know when I come running to him, when I allow him to hold me, I'm safe. I am forgiven. I won't be condemned. Steve Nichols bought an aquarium for his little girl. She was four years old at the time. Her name is Sarah. They set the aquarium up in her bedroom, and then the two of them went off to the pet store to buy some fish. They bought four of them, and they put them in the tank. Two weeks later, Steve Nichols was working at the office when he got a call from his wife. One of the fish had died. It got caught in one of those fake plastic bushes that you often see in those little aquariums. And little Sarah was concerned about this, and she needed to talk to her daddy. So the mother handed her the phone, and Sarah explained to her dad that she and her mom were getting ready to go out in the backyard and have a funeral for that fish. And Steve said, Sarah, that's great. That's a wonderful way to handle this. I am so proud of you. But Steve could sense that something was bothering Sarah. You could tell by the quiver in her voice and the long pauses between the words. Something was troubling his little girl. So he kept listening. And then the truth came out. Sarah said, Daddy, would you please make sure that I don't get caught in one of those bushes? That little girl recognized something that we all need to understand. We're not safe on our own. Just as that little four-year-old girl needed a daddy to be watching out for her, so we need somebody to be watching out for us. And the only one we can trust to always take care of us is Jesus. Do you remember the promise that he made? John chapter 14, I go to prepare a place for you. He's talking about heaven, the ultimate city of refuge. And Jesus is the only one who can open the gate to that wonderful place. Do you belong to him? Do you have this security, this confidence of knowing that because I belong to Jesus, now all of my sin has been forgiven? Because I belong to Jesus, now I know I have this bright, this very bright future waiting for me. Let's pray. God, this world can be a, a scary place. It's hard not to worry when we see all the trouble that surrounds us. So God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the refuge that he provides for us. God, my prayers, renew our faith, restore our confidence in Jesus and all that he has done for us. God, today, let us experience again that peace that passes all understanding, the peace of knowing that you will always take care of us. And I ask you for that blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.